The Gospel Shaped Home podcast is a family discipleship resource from Providence Church in Raleigh, North Carolina, that aims to equip you and your family to be on mission with God to the ends of the street and the ends of the earth. Welcome back to another episode of the Gospel Shaped Home podcast. My name's Jarek, and I serve as the student pastor here at Providence. Today, I'm joined with Daniel Savage, our discipleship pastor, and Scott Reiner, our kids' pastor. Uh, to get this started, Scott, what is your favorite activity in the summer with your family? Favorite activity in the summer? My kids love to eat ice cream. Okay. So I, I like watching them eat ice cream. I'll confess, I'm <laughs> you not. You don't get ice cream at all? I don't love eating ice cream, but I love watching them eat ice cream. And okay. so it's a lot of fun. Okay. When you say you don't love eating ice cream, you don't like ice cream or you <laughs> yeah. don't love it? Like you'd say, it's, like, it's too cold. Oh my. It hurts my teeth sometimes. So you're, you're taking like little spoonfuls from your kids. Yeah. Like, I mean, if we go to like two roosters, <laughs> I'll buy them ice cream and I'm not going to buy more myself. Uh, I can just eat some of it. And now that, now that they're going to have leftovers, but it's just too cold for me a lot of times, even in the hot summer months, oh but boy. Okay. it's a fun summer thing and they love it and are obsessed with it. And so it's Scott's hot take. He loves, he does not like ice cream because it's too cold. I'll confess. I actually did this. Unpopular opinion. Unpopular opinion. <laughs> I actually, ice cream is so cold. I'll confess. I sometimes, Mary knows this. I put it in the microwave to, no, to you melt it. Uh, so, drink it? No, I mean, you just melt it a little bit. Like you don't want it frozen. You want it more uh, like a milkshake. Milkshakes are great. I don't think I've ever. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that's me. Real da- life here. Daniel, what about you? Uh, mine my is probably going to the beach and just all the stuff that goes with it. Um, trying to catch crabs at night and going out early in the morning to walk up and down the beach. It just those kinds of things. We have been doing that since the kids were little. And so there's just so many memories attached to it. Yeah. Um, that it's just a lot of fun. Yeah. That's sweet. Um, I think for Brittany and I, Brittany loves the beach. I'm not much of a beach fan, but as long as we have activities to do, I'm not the person who can sit out on the beach and just sit, talk, read. I need to do something. So I'm, I'm going to play beach games. I, we we yes, found out last week I, you um, don't read. So yeah, that's right. No, <laughs> <laughs> again, clarifying. I do read certain books. Uh, that's right. That's right. It's so a discipline. It, it is a discipline. Uh, but I do think like for me, the coolness of the mornings in summer and like the evenings, like when it gets like that perfect bonfire type weather, which I feel like is, is really nice. So sitting on the porch and having our uh, vintage, what whatever those lights are, the little night lights, you know what I'm talking about? The big bulbs. Like You've never invited me over at night, so I don't know. <laughs> okay, we'll, we'll change that, Scott. We'll change that. Uh, so, again, as we think about families in the summer, um, we're continuing to discuss our questions that parents have sent in uh, for this Ask Me Anything series. And with summer being in full swing, swing we had a parent send in a question, how do I protect my son when we go to the pool? And girls are dressed in revealing bathing suits. So we're just going to generalize this and talk about modesty uh, and sexuality in the summer. Uh, And again, in the summer, we all face it. We've all experienced it. But how do we equip our parents to help their sons and daughters to think about um, what scripture says uh, and to use wisdom when it comes to this area? So I have a few thoughts that I'll invite you guys to speak into um, this list. Um, but the first one um, is digging down to the heart. Um, so asking you guys a question, how does uh, this idea of digging down to the heart, this motivation help our sons and daughters think through this area of modesty and sexuality? 
So thinking about motivations, I mean, I first think about on the modesty side, you know, when someone wants to wear something that may or may not be modest, just trying to walk through a conversation with them about why they want to wear it. Yeah. Um, so my kids are, they're, they're probably just now getting into the age where they have opinions about, well, strong opinions about what they want to wear. They've always, I guess, had some opinion. Some of them have, um, but just stronger opinions. And so trying to walk through what to wear and what not to wear and why, um, those are where a lot of our thoughts about motivations are coming in. Like, well, why, why do you want to wear that? And of course we're getting a lot of answers that you would expect. Um, I like it, it's comfortable, or this is what everyone else is wearing, uh, seems to be a, a, a popular refrain. Um, so it just, just kind of trying to process, okay, well, if everyone else is wearing that, why? And, and should that, does that mean that you should wear it too? And why, why would we do something different? But those are all kind of questions you have to walk through and think through. Yeah. I think of Philippians two a passage. We memorized as one of our Sunday daily routines a few months ago. And uh, it's been super helpful for us as a family, because I come back to it and remind our kids of it all the time. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Don't look only to your own interests, but also to the interest of others. And so I think this issue of modesty and sexuality, you know, specifically thinking of, you know, kids more 10 to 18, uh, you know, could be younger, but like teaching them that truth and that motivation behind, like we, we wear the things we wear and, you know, whatnot, because of we're, we want to look out for others' interests. And this is a way we apply the gospel uh, because this is what Jesus did for us. And yeah, so that's kind of what I think about when I think about just motivation and, um, yeah, that's good. Yeah. So, well, thinking about the, since the question was, how do I help, you know, my son, son when he goes to the pool, yeah. you know, um, thinking about the purity side of it, the motivation there, that's, um, that's a, that's a tricky one where you're, I feel like when my kids were younger, we talked about a lot. We talked a lot about what's appropriate and what's inappropriate, you know? So when things are inappropriate, we turn away, you know? So that was kind of our whole thing. And, and there wasn't a whole lot of motivation talk in it. It was just kind of guard your eyes was essentially what we were saying. And and they learned quickly what was inappropriate and what's appropriate and they would turn. Uh, but now, you know, we are thinking about motivation and the, and the motivation to guard your eyes, whether you're an adult or a teenager is the same. And it's that those who are pure in heart get to see the Lord. Like yeah. you're, you're fighting for purity because you want to know God and draw near to him. Yeah. And uh, so you're just, you're, you're trying to guard your eyes from things that might become a stumbling block or a hindrance to your pursuit of what is best. Yeah. Uh, so that, that's like a whole new world of conversations to think about motivations uh, as as kids are getting older and as you're you're trying to pursue purity in these environments where it's really hard to. Yeah. And so you just kind of sum it up. The reason we um, start with the heart is because sexuality begins with the heart. And Jesus teaches us that when you think about the, the Sermon on the Mount or when you think about Mark 7, Jesus says what comes out of a person is what defiles them. So it's from within, out of the person's heart, evil thoughts come. So sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery keeps on going on this list. But he says all these evil come from inside and defile a person. So when we think about, you know, um, 
of asking this general question, like, man, uh, are we glorifying God when we look at someone that way? Or are we wanting to show off ourselves when we want to wear this bathing suit? Or does it make it harder for others um, to be holy or cause a stomach block that what you said? Um, but again, uh, all this question is like when we think about modesty and sexuality, it has to st- stem and come back to the heart. Like what is that motivating factor when we look at someone or we um, decide to dress um, this way? And again, it's not just for, um, uh, it's for both. It's for boys and girls uh, when it comes to this idea. So digging down to the heart, I think is where does it stem from? This motivation is one. Uh, Moving on to the second one, Scott, you've kind of already mentioned it, but how does loving others or recognizing the Imago Dei and others help us think through this um, question of modesty and sexuality. Well, it, it should, um, it, it, it may, it's a little abstract to think about it as, as kind of guiding our motivations, but I think what it should do is frame the way that we think about how we're supposed to see and interact with other people. Yeah. So the way that the world sees people is not the way that we should see and think about them. So a yeah. lot of times the world objectifies people. Who are they? What can I get from them? Um, what do I admire about them, especially from an outward appearance sort of, um, and that's how we rate people and think about them, you know, from, from their social status to their socioeconomic status. We, you know, we, we categorize people all the time and objectify them and, uh, want to, want to see them through these different frames. But if we, if we look at them through a biblical, like, you know, with a biblical worldview, as we're, we're thinking about the Imago Dei, the image of God being in every person, mm-hmm. it should frame the way that we think about each person, that this yeah. is a child of God. This yeah. is a person created in the image of God. And the most important aspects of that person are not their physical appearance, not what they have or what they don't have, but it's their um, ability to relate to others. It is their um this human aspect that they can think and feel and they have a soul. Those are the things that are most important about a person. And when those things are most important, it should frame the way that we look at them or don't look at them. Um, and, and how we think about relating to them, you know, and it should be based on those relational aspects, not a physical lust or, you know, a, a, a desire to look at them in a certain way so that it should it just sort of categorizes and helps us distinguish, well, why is it wrong to look at someone yeah. in a lustful way? Well, it's because that's, that's not how we should relate to them. We yeah. should relate to them based on their kind of divine characteristics, that they are relational and they are um, feeling beings um, who have a soul. So yeah. that's some thoughts about the Imago Dei. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, you, you talk about you know being image bearers, and I was just telling this story to somebody recently, and um, Andy Crouch had shared about just walking through an airport and having this exercise of every single person he passed, just thinking image bearer, image bearer, image bearer. I think you could apply that at the beach, at the swimming pool, anywhere. Like every single person is an image bearer. Um, Dan, everything you said, this idea that people aren't objects to be used, like they're image bearers to be loved. And like, just, and then thinking that as parents, like we need to train our kids to like, we think about modesty and how to apply it. Mm. I think a lot of it starts you know, Daniel, you were talking earlier about this idea with us, just about we're, we're using this as training moments. And so even from a young age, training our kids to think about people being made in the image of God and what that 
does and means and looks like. And one of the fruits and applications for knowing that is going to be brought out in this issue of modesty and, you know, what is okay to wear and what's not okay to wear. Yeah. And I think that's good because, uh, for, uh, both guys and girls, like you're asking, like, for example, if a girl wants to dress a certain way because her friends are dressing that way. Now you're also stemming back from the heart and you're, you're, it's a countercultural like, Hey, I know your friends are dressing this way, but doesn't mean you have to, or for guys, like, I know your friends are speaking about this girl in this certain way, but you don't have to. And so it's, it's a training ground to teach, um, even our, um, our kids, First Corinthians one twenty four says this: Let no one seek his own good, but for the good of his neighbor. Or Philippians two, like consider them more significant than yourselves. Uh, but it's going back to this imago day, recognizing the value and worth uh, and dignity that each person has, especially when you think about what Jesus has done on the cross and dying for them, uh, and creating them or redeeming them. Um, so I, I think it's it's really wise, but also seeing how. Uh, no matter what, especially in what we wear, the choices affect um, both genders and their walk with God and their own thought life and perception of even our witness about who God is and what he is, um, how he has created us to be. So loving others being a, a key uh, when it comes to modesty and sexuality. Um, third one, uh, just thinking about a long-term mindset or even a better way, how does a long-term effect or eternal perspective help in these conversations of modesty and sexuality. So when you think about helping like these habits or conversations, or um, you talked about like the eyes, the way we look at people, how are, how does, uh, how does that help with a long-term effect of how we would view people later on or habits that might um, be created in, um, in our kids' lives? Well, I, I think all of these conversations um, hopefully you're creating frameworks for them to use as they develop and you'd be creating habits. You know, as you take your kids to the pool or take your kids to the beach, um, you can either let them develop their own habits of how they're going to think when they show up and what they're going to do. And um, that could go one of many directions or you could, really intentionally try to help them create frameworks to know how, okay, if I'm going to a swimming pool where there's going to be bathing suits or I'm going to the beach, um, how do I prepare my mind for that? And what should I be thinking about? And, you know, because the Bible's really, um, it, it reminds us a lot that we should prepare ourselves or gird up our minds. Like we, we shouldn't just haphazardly walk into situations. And so, um, you know, we've, we've talked, I, I said earlier, one of my favorite things to do is go to the beach. And so I have to know if I'm going to do that personally, and if I'm going to take my kids into that situation, that there's some preparation that has to be done. Like that's, uh, that's not a, that's, it's not a normal environment, you know, that's just like any other environment. It, it comes with its own unique temptations and, and there are things that are there that could be dangerous to them. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, what do I do to prepare them? You know, so that, that's kind of what you're doing. And, you know, like Scott mentioned earlier, um, we were talking about training you know, the, the, you, you told this to me earlier, so don't give me credit for it. <laughs> well, you, you brought it up first. Um, but it like, I think about this a lot. It's probably one of my most frequent parenting thoughts is that the goal of parenting is not control. 
which I think often we think it is. Um, so I'm not, if, if the goal of parenting was control, then I just wouldn't take them to these places and I would just forbid it. And yeah. I wouldn't let them watch television and I wouldn't, you know, I'd put all these parameters on them and boundaries. And the problem with that kind of thinking though, the flaw in the thinking is that they leave your house at some point. Yeah. And so the, the point, the main objective in parenting is not to control my kids, but is to train them. So what I want to do ultimately is train them how to engage in the world as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so all of these uh, present opportunities to train, help them think and help them process, help them learn when to avert their eyes and why would they do that yeah. and those kinds of things. But if, if you're just giving them the law, it's not ultimately all that helpful other than to show them that I, I, I fail over and over again to do this, yeah. you know, because you want to, you want to point them towards the things that are good and teach them why. Yeah. I think about I, one of the first parenting things I ever learned before becoming a parent first heard it from Jen Wilkin, this idea of you parent with the end in mind. It's like, you know, where do you want your kids? We y'all have kind of talked about this, you know, when they're 18 and leaving the house and they can decide where to go and what to wear. Like you want to parent them as a nine year old and a 13 year old and a 15 year old with where they're going to be at, you know, 18, 19 or 20. And so I think even for parents, like thinking about the frustrations and difficulties that may come in the journey. And there's a lot of them. And especially in this area, like ultimately though, you want to, do you think about where do you want them to be with the end in mind and what are you willing to deal with in the short term, knowing it may be painful now, but there's going to be better fruit down the road rather than just giving them thinking about the short term. And well, this is easier. You think about this with discipline with a four-year-old kind of same idea, like just parenting with the end in mind. Yeah. And I, I do think the scripture provides even for this category, uh, not only just with, you know, ways that we want to pursue things, but also how the Lord has designed it. Psalm 1611 says, you make known to me the path of life and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So like we see that, but then also we look at the world, Proverbs 14, 12 says there's a way that seems right to man, but ultimately leads to death. And so like recognizing that for not only just um, this category of modesty and sexuality, but for every other category, like God has given us a path to flourish uh, and to enjoy everything that he's designed that is good, but the world has perverted and distorted that. And to give a framework, like you said, Daniel, for our kids to really think about this, like, am I going to walk down this path that is destructive, that is harmful to my um, well-being now and my eternal soul, or am I going to follow the path that the Lord has set? And, you know, when you think about scripture and even, um, we talked about the Imago Day, but like teaching uh, younger girls who would find a husband who would want to cherish her as scripture describes or a son who would seek after purity in a godly woman. Proverbs 31, 30, a charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. So even with this category of sexual purity and modesty, um, those are goals that we hope, I would say, like for training, like what is more valuable, what is more eternal, what is more satisfying that the Lord has promised, uh, which I think is really good. Um, and this is the fourth category I think is really helpful, but how does considering our witness um, help with this conversation of modesty and sexuality? I mean, I, mean, I think back to that idea of being exiles, um, these are going to be difficult conversations, uh, to have on both sides, yeah. you know, uh, whether you're, whether there are, there may be sometimes when 
you can't go to certain places because of what you're going to see when you're there. Uh, and that, that those are, again, discernment, you know, decisions that are made with discernment. You know, we, we can go here, we can't go here. We're always wrestling and asking that question. And then on the other side, what am I going to, what am I going to wear? And uh, as styles come and go, there are going to be styles that come that we shouldn't be participating in. You know, there'd be some styles of clothing that, um, you know, our, our daughters are going to want to participate and we're going to have to coach them and train them in what does it mean to be an exile in the world? It means that, yeah, I know everyone is wearing this, but I don't think you should wear it. Uh, and here's why. And I know that that's uncomfortable. And I know that, that there are going to be, there's going to be some cost to that, but that, but there's a cost to being a disciple. And so this is a good, when you, when you think about it, it seems like a big deal. Um, and when you're in the middle of those conversations, but this is actually a really good opportunity to embrace a pretty low bar in terms of cost that this is a cost that we have to embrace to be a disciple. Um, and it's a, it's a good practice ground for hopefully, you know, greater costs that they will embrace as they get older. Yeah. You talk about just witness. And I think, you know, in any area where you can look differently than the world, it's not something that we need to, it's not like we're intentionally trying to be weird, but ultimately we're trying to have opportunities to share the gospel. And I think, you know, any issue of where you can, people can look at you and say, you're different. Like that's immediately like gospel conversation, like right there. And um, so like kind of that's immediately what I think about is like, what are ways that we can live counterculturally? Yeah. Not as like, that's not going to share the gospel. You know, the gospel is news, it's words, but right then and there is going to be a opportunity to speak the gospel because of how counterculturally different we live. Yeah. There is a resource that, um, two resources I want to mention. The first one, um, just because I've been reading it recently with a friend, uh, but every man's battle and every young man's battle. Um, it's actually a, a story, which I feel like correlates to this pool analogy, but a dad was working out with his son and there were ladies in, in the gym that he was working out and he saw what they were wearing. And the son responds and said, dad, it's unfair for them, be, them to be dressed in this manner. But the dad responds and said, we might not have control over what they wear, but we have control and discipline over how we respond. And I think this idea of purity uh, for guys and girls of just um, how we respond in the culture that is hypersexualized and um, but set the example in faith and conduct in purity. Um, and I think that's what ultimately that I would hope that we're teaching our teenagers of what to do, that the battle of the eyes, the battle of the mind, the battle of the heart, it is real, but it's, it's things that we should be setting up uh, and focusing on, like Christ says, or Paul says to take captive every thought to make obedient to Christ. Or Paul says in first Thessalonians, for this is the will of God, your sanctification to abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you would know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. And it is absolutely different from what the culture is pushing uh, and the pressures that I feel like not only as adults we face, but which is even harder um, for our teenagers. And so I just want to encourage um, one book um, for parents to read to help on both sides for young men and young women, uh, Fighting for Purity um, by Deepak Raju. Probably butchered his name, but it's a 31 devotional day, uh, day devotional that um, you could work with um, your students. And I feel like it 
does all categories when it comes to the heart, when it comes to the mind, when it comes to our eyes, when it comes to our witness. Um, I think he just does a really good job uh, in fighting for sexual purity that honors the Lord and honors the other person. Um, and so, um, but just want to thank everyone for listening today. We hope these truths and applications continue to bless and encourage you. And it's our joy to partner with you as a family discipleship team. Uh, I hope you would join us next week as we continue uh, this series, Ask Me Anything. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Gospel Shaped Home podcast produced by Providence Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. For more information and resources from Providence, visit us online at pray.org. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider subscribing and leaving a review on Apple Podcasts.